I'm a fan of the overlooked heroes of the Christmas stories in Scripture. You've got Matthew's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, both telling us the stories of the birth and the early days of Jesus. Then we have this quick run-through when he's young, when he's a teenager, almost a teenager, 12 years old, he's in the temple. And then we just get right to the story of the Messiah. I um, After the pageantry of the shepherd and the wise men, where you've got what is essentially a first century baby shower for a newborn king everybody's bringing gifts but then what you know nobody shows up at baby's first immunizations but those are important uh i I think that 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 we ought to be giving gifts that that really pay off later on like here here's the beginnings of a of a fund for braces for your child you know but those don't those don't really make it in, in most stories. They're not that exciting, but very, very needful and important. And if you stop at Luke 2 with the stories that are so familiar about the shepherds, and Matthew then will give us the wise men, and you have the threats of King Herod. But if you just stop there, you, you don't see what happens next. And there's one that, that, that gets left out often, and I, I want to bring back some attention to a couple of interesting individuals called Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna often overlooked, but what they represent may mean more to us than we realize. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. When eight days had passed, Jesus' parents circumcised him and gave him the name Jesus. This was the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived. When the time came for their ritual cleansing, in accordance with the law from Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Because it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. Now already I'm losing some of you because where is the angelic voice showing up in this one? This is all very routine stuff. This is after Christmas kind of first of the year tax code sort of stuff. Eight days passed. We've got to have the naming ceremony. We've got to go down to the courthouse, fill out the papers. We've got to make the sacrifice according to the ritual rules. All of this, this is all just procedural stuff. But what turns out to look like a procedural sort of a day turns into... A day of worship and praise. Mary and Joseph offered a sacrifice in keeping with what's stated in the law of the Lord, which would have been a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And a man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. Simeon was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Led by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple area. Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought the child to the temple so that they could do what was customary under the law. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, and he said, 
Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. It is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people, Israel. And just stop and notice in this verse, just for a moment, that Mary and Joseph, who have been through an incredibly wondrous experience in less than a year, are now just doing what is customary. They're doing what the law prescribes. They're really just taking care of the things that need to be done. But Simeon is led by the Spirit. Simeon is led by the Spirit, and he knows that something important is going to happen here. Everyone else would have seen a young couple making a poor people's sacrifice, the the birds. That, That was what was allowed if somebody couldn't afford a better animal. They're making this poor people's sacrifice to ritually cleanse their son according to the customary rules. It wouldn't have stood out. Nobody would have noticed anything. And here's a little child there to be named and circumcised. An infant. But Simeon, led by the Spirit, a devout and righteous man, he sees the salvation of Israel in that child who would have stood out no more than any of the other children that might have been there. No more than any of the other people that would have come in all of the business and the work and the ritual going on in that temple. That first line of Simeon's, I read it differently this week. I've always read that as Simeon praying. But when he says, now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation, is he saying that to God, or is he saying that to the child? They both work for me. They both work. But he knows now that he holds in his hands the warrior Messiah, the Son of God sent from heaven, the Redeemer, the Savior and Rescuer of God's people and all the world. Jesus' father and mother were amazed by what was said about him. You'd really think at this point that nothing could surprise them anymore. But it did. Simeon blessed them. He blesses them as well. And he says to Mary, his mother, this child is a sign to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that generates opposition so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. We'll come back to that. Also there was a prophet named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. Anna had lived a long life. After she married, she lived with her husband for seven years until his death. She was now an 84-year-old widow who never left the temple area but worshipped God with fasting and with prayer night and day. And she approached at that very moment and began to praise God and to speak about Jesus to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption 
of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna. There's three questions I want to ask real quick. What's so special about them? What had they seen? What was their hope? And what did they know? Because when Anna arrives, and she may have been surrounded by a school of, of, of young prophets or of people listening, if she's, a, if she's a prophet, then she has a prophecy. She's teaching. She's sharing something that needs to be heard. And, and if she's surrounded by these, by these people or anyone who's there, now she is explaining with the gift of prophecy what Simeon can see through the enlightenment of the Spirit. And the news, the good news about Jesus is being preached even in his infant life. And Simeon makes that very strange statement to Mary where he promises her that this is going to be salvation but this isn't necessarily going to be easy and you're going to have a rough time with it too Mary whatever it means when he says a sword will pierce your own soul too but what had they seen well you think about the life of Simeon and Anna they had seen the Roman invasion of their land they were like the generation that lives now in Ukraine under war. They had seen a mighty oppressor come in, destroy their property, desecrate their holy places, and they had seen this, this mighty force come in and burden them with taxation. Maybe making some public improvements, but at the same time, burdening the people with things that they didn't ask for. And, and, and they saw moral decline in their national leaders. For example, Herod the Great, who's supposed to be the king of the Jews, but he doesn't act like the Jews. And his children are certainly not the moral leaders that God's people, who are supposed to be a light to the nations, are supposed to be. Nor is Herod himself. And they would have seen the Samaritans getting more and more aggressive towards the Jews and the Jews getting more and more aggressive towards the Samaritans. Now, they may not have seen this in their lifetime, but when Jesus is maybe in the temple when he's 12, maybe sometime around that time period, the Samaritans, according to Josephus, desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. They put the bones of dead people in the temple. I mean, it's a little alarming for us when we have a skating rink in our, in our parking lot. But can you imagine if somebody were to come in here and to leave carcasses and corpses? That would be a horrible thing. It would be disturbing, as it was for them even, even more so. But this, this was the kind of violence, the kind of oppression the kind of news that Simeon and Anna would have seen their whole life. Let me ask you a question. Are you just about sick of the news that you hear every day? Are you just about tired of the bad news that comes? It's that time of year, folks. I'm not talking about Christmas. I'm talking about the last week of 2022. Oh, Stay away from cable television. You're going to see all the shows. And now I guess it's on TikTok and everything else. 
going to remind you everything that went bad in 2022. If you didn't catch it, we've got to remind you how bad it is. And then everybody's going to hope for a better 2023. Then we're going to get to the end of 2023, and we're all going to talk about how bad it is. Because somebody wants us to be outraged. Somebody wants us to be upset. And here's Simeon and Anna, and through all of that, they are holding on to their faith in God. Anna doesn't leave the temple, even though she has every reason to be bitter. Simeon is convinced that he's going to see the Messiah. Now, what was their hope in all of that? What did they expect? Well, I think, especially Simeon, expected to see the arrival of the Messiah. He wasn't giving up on the prophecies. Many of his generation had given up on it all. They had made their peace with it. Look, the Romans, just like the Greeks before them, it's just the way it's going to go. Things are going to get better. Things are going to get better with the Greeks and the Romans. We just have to accept it. Just knuckle under. I mean, you know, what does it matter? Join in with those festivals and everything. If you can't beat them, join them. Well, the Maccabees tried to beat them. Yeah, and that didn't go so well. Might have worked with the Greeks, but it certainly doesn't work with the Romans. A lot of people had given up, but not Simeon. Simeon knows God's going to do something. God's going to do the thing that we can't do. I'm going to see the Messiah. Now, he may have expected a man on a white horse to ride in with an angelic army and take Jerusalem back. He may have expected that. But as he's growing older, his expectations might be changing. But the one thing he won't give up on is that he's going to see the Messiah. They are waiting for the comfort of God's people, a people who are oppressed, a people who are burdened. And, and, and what is it that gives them that idea? I mean, ask yourself, why would they think that? Well, the stories that they tell amongst themselves are stories like the story of the Exodus. That the Exodus, that, that's where Jewish history really begins, not in Genesis. But it really begins with the Exodus, where a people are oppressed under a king that thinks he's a god. And so he sends a man to deliver them, and they are rescued through the mighty power of God. A people who are the least become the ones who are favored the most. They're reminded of stories like the Babylonian exile, that people who had sinned and turned away from God suddenly find the comfort of hearing the prophets say the time of your exile is over we get to go back to the land you're going to worship again in the temple many of you have never seen this before you don't remember a time when this was the case but you're going to see it it's all going to be restored and so it was with Ezra and Nehemiah and those are the stories they had heard Simeon is thinking God's going to do it again God's going to do it again God's going to do it again, and I'm going to see that Messiah. It's going to be the comfort of God's people. What they're really looking for is a ray of light. They're looking for a little bit of light that will pierce the darkness. That's their hope, and that's how the Messiah has been promised. So how do they know all of these things that they know? How does Simeon know everything? Is it just the Spirit overriding his consciousness or does the spirit activate this truth that Simeon knows when Anna offers her prophecy and says what she says 
is, does she just suddenly fall into a trance like some oracle of Greece? Or is she informed by God's Spirit based on the truth that is evident to everyone? Remember, Paul seems to think that prophecy versus tongues, prophecy is the one that can be understood. So what is it that they know? What is it that Simeon knows when he tells Mary what he tells her? First of all, they know this. They know that light casts a shadow. When you shine light, a bright light, chances are there's going to be a shadow. You know, one of the things about the darkness is there's no shadows in darkness. Darkness is. But light will make a shadow. And when the light shines, when the word of truth is delivered and made clear, there's going to be some darkness that will attempt to stand up against it. Simeon has a blessing for Mary, knowing, telling her that this child is a sign. But he says it's going to be difficult too. There's going to be shadows from this ray of light. Simeon knows that the sign to be opposed and rejected threatens the powers that be, the powers that are already there. Everything is not A-OK until Christ arrives and then he makes it difficult No, the pain, the disease has always been there. The pain comes from the diagnosis of the great physician who says this is an illness. And the darkness doesn't like that. We may try to connect Jesus just to those things that are positive. And in some ways, we've all suffered with the diminishing and the sentimentalizing, the, uh, the sweetening of Christmas, So that we show up right around this time, we talk about babies and mangers and donkeys and drummer boys and oh, wasn't that wonderful, and then we pack it up before all the bad stuff happens. But if you don't stick around, you don't get Simeon who shows up and says, this is good, but there's going to be some people who really hate this. That's what Simeon and Anna know. That's what Simeon and Anna have seen in their life. And that's what you and I need to know, is that as good as this is, and we know it's good, it's why you're here today, there's going to be people who don't like this. And our job is not to make them like us, our job is to make them aware of the truth, and to make them aware of the light. doesn't mean that we get to be nasty in doing that, it doesn't mean that we get to be mean. Like Simeon and Anna, we just tell what we know. We do it with love. We do it with a blessing. Notice that Simeon brings Mary a blessing. And Anna preaches a word for all who will hear. Change and renewal are not always embraced. Next week we're going to celebrate the beginning of the sixth year of Celebrate Recovery. And if there's one thing that all of us in Celebrate Recovery have discovered is that it's not always easy to change. It's necessary. But it's not always easy. <laughs> there's some, there's, that's why this thing called denial is the first lesson. Because there's some of this stuff, it's like, well, I don't know that I have a problem. I don't have a problem. Everybody else has the problem. If everybody else would get straight, I'd be fine. Yeah. Kind of coming at it the wrong way. This is why we reflect and count the cost of discipleship. Jesus in his teaching and in his ministry will tell his followers, you need to know what's going to be called upon. 
called upon of you. Be prepared for that, but know how important it is. Hope is made possible, but it's made possible only through sacrifice. There are those yet who would remain in the cold, who would remain in the shadows. They, wanna, they don't want to risk change because change can be risky and scary, and they would rather deny than decide. And that's the thing that Simeon and Anna know, is that when you're confronted with the salvation of Israel in this child, when you are confronted with the one who will not be received as king by all, but he'll be nailed to a cross, you have to decide. Is he going to be your savior? Or are you going to deny it? Now, both of those cannot be true. Jesus cannot be savior for some and just a good teacher for everybody else. He's one or the other. Truth calls for a decision. It calls for a commitment. Jesus will bring the truth to light. And here's what it's safe for us to say in here. But it's not always safe for us to say in other places. If you gather with family during this time, this might be the case. As you go back to work later this week or next year, revealing the truth can be painful. And it's not always easy. It's risky. But you have to decide. You can't remain unaffected. You can reject the truth. That's a fair position. You can reject it. You get the right to be wrong. You can reject it. But you can't be unimpressed, not if you really understand what's going on here. You can act like you're unimpressed. You can act like it doesn't matter. You can act like all of this is just, you know, a lot of myths and thoughts and opinions and so what's and maybes and but that's just our way of denying the challenge of the truth that calls us to make a decision. Simeon and Anna stand apart from those who reject Christ because even though they may be old, even though their time may be going away, they realize that the old promises of God can still be kept in unexpected and new ways. I often wonder if Anna on her wedding day thought, you know, one day, my hope is, is that I'll be 84 years old, my husband and I will have a little farm, and did she think that for the next decade or so, more, decades, that she would be in the temple prophesying? Did Simeon think, I'm going to see the Messiah, and I'm going to serve in his army? Did he ever think, yeah, I'm going to see the Messiah, and he'll probably be a baby? I bet he didn't. But they accept it as it is because of spiritual insight and understanding the words of God. You don't have to be old like Simeon and Anna. At any age, if you've just had enough of darkness, if you're just looking to see a ray of light, if you just want peace in your heart, a peace that has no more fear of death or darkness, then you're Simeon, you're Anna. When you see the child laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, do you just see a nativity scene 
Or do you see a sign from heaven? A sign that will cause some to rise and others to fall? Do you see a Savior wrapped in funeral clothes, laid in a tomb to be raised in three days? When you see the child raised up in Simeon's arms and blessed, do you see an ancient custom or do you see a glimpse of the Christ who will be lifted up so that all will know that he is the Son of God? Do you see the King of heaven and earth who's preparing for his return? I think the other question for us is, will we wait faithfully like Simeon and Anna? Or when times get tough, do we wear out and accommodate? We need to keep watching. We need to keep praying. And look for the light of the world to shine again. The child was a sign. We have another sign that we come around every Lord's Day. And I wonder if we really appreciate this sign. That what we see in the bread and the cup is we see what that child was sent for. Redemption, salvation, healing. And remember that God's idea of salvation is always greater and larger than my idea or your idea. Too often we get caught up in, am I saved? That's a good place to begin. But do you know that God wants to save more than just you? God wants to save you, and he wants to save me. And he's not willing that any should perish. And he wants to save all of us. And then he wants to save our relationships with one another. He wants to purify them and make them more holy. He wants to save the church. He wants to redeem our relationship with creation. Read Romans 8. And so in this meal that we're gathered to, I mean, why not just give all of us a private experience of his salvation? Why call all of us together for bread and wine unless he's trying to say it's really important that you do this together? Because I'm trying to save all of you. Not only in your relationship with me, but also with one another. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper now. So, if you have uh, communion with you, take the bread. And it's important, one of the things that we've learned in the last few years is that when Paul calls us to remember what this is, he says, wait for one another. You take this together. It's not just our own private experience of this, but here we have a community that realizes that the one who sustains us is Jesus Christ. The sign of the child. He causes many to rise and to fall. Raise your hand if you need need the communion elements right now. And we've got some people back here who will bring it to you. Right over here, we need a few. I'm going to give thanks for this bread. Father, we see in this sign of the bread and the cup salvation. We remember you and we remember what you have done. We take this together remembering that you have saved us and that Father, you have made us one because you and the Father are one. 
You have brought redemption. You have brought renewal. You have worked salvation. And now we are sustained and we wait for your return. We thank you for this bread, the body of Christ given for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.